Some of what you are about to hear may be deemed offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Time now for another episode of Paths from the Past podcast. Brought to you by Hooba WB Nation, your one-stop shop for all your business needs. And Brian, pretty intriguing guest we have today. A guy that you worked at the same place with. I did. Somebody who I work with currently today. You want to talk about the tables being turned. <laughs> Former Patriots quarterback and voice of the New England Patriots on 98.5 The Sports Hub, Scott Zolak. So how about me asking you questions? Well, I think technically, like, Bob Sosi is the voice of the Patriots. Uh, right? You, you got to go with the play. You're the play. color guy. I am. I'm the. I'm the color voice of the Patriots. You I, cer- I would, and you I, certainly provide color. I think I'm the energy guy. I think I'm the. I'm the. I, you could call me the Patriots hype man. I. I, I think energy <laughs> guy is a good way to say it. How you yeah. doing? Uh, doing great. It's good seeing you guys. Of course, a uh, great relationship with you, Matt, with all access and uh, what we've done over the years. I go way back with Brian. Um, back when uh, I got popped from the league, and you're sitting around and a cobra runs out. When I say cobra, your health care benefits are paying a ton of money and. You know, this, can we swear in here? Yeah. Sure. Sort of a shitty job down in Providence, uh, pops <laughs> open this. Uh, when I say shitty, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the time slot. 5.30. So I've never done radio before. And they said, we have this opportunity. There's a 5.30 a.m. slot, 5.30 to 9 a.m. And, uh, we'll give you a decent, not a decent salary. It was a shit salary. And uh, five, five figures. Uh, one, two, yeah, that's five. Figures. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but mid fives. It was, I mean, yeah, yeah, I got you. I don't want to downplay I worked, money. Money's I, money. It's I good worked money. there. Yeah, you worked there. You know what it is, but it was full benefits. So when you got, do you have kids yet? Uh, oh, yeah. I had, uh, one, two. And we were just, Brody was just going to, Brody was, she was pregnant with Brody. Okay. I think at the time. So, yeah, that all came together quite nicely. Wow. Good uh, from a benefit standpoint. Good for you. Well, well, well we want to get into environment, a little different. You know? Yeah. We'll, yeah. we'll get into the radio stuff, um, Scott, because the people who are listening to this, yeah. probably a lot of them, only know Scott Zolak from being on the radio. But there's a lot more to Scott Zolak that got him to the radio. Right. And here's another one. You've been in New England now, Scott, since 92. <laughs> so that's almost 30 years here in the area. But maybe people don't realize you weren't born in this area. No. Where, you, where were you born? Uh, born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I think I was uh, 10 pounds, 13 ounces. My mom had me naturally, which I credit to her. Uh, as for people that know me and see me on some of the pictures on the Patriots uh, website, my head is rather large. So for her to push <laughs> me out, that's pretty impressive on her part. Um, we're going to have some good pregnancy talk here. Episiotomy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, for, for history's sake, uh, I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, hot, hotbed for athletics. Um, my dad went to Denora High School. He was teammates with Ken Griffey Sr. So Ken Griffey Sr. eventually played for the Reds, and we all know about Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, later in life ends up being, what, Cincinnati Moeller, I think was the high school at the time. And uh, my dad was buddies with uh, Griffey Sr., played ball in high school. Uh, he went on to coach, uh, ended up coaching Joe Montana in high school. Uh, way before Ken Griffey, Stan Musial was from our home. Oh yeah, wow! So Stan, the man, a splendid splinter. I remember. I eventually went to University of Maryland, um, and I remember coming home. And anytime Montana or Stan would come back to town, now we're we're steel mill town. Both my grandfathers worked in the steel mill. Um, they made all of our tools at home: the hatchets, uh, the hammers, uh, sledgehammers. I stood in line for cheese and bread, government cheese and bread, with both my grandfathers. Um, so sports was your way out of town there. And we came together as families Friday nights. It's, it's like the movie, uh, all the right moves with Tom Cruise. Tremendous movie. By Amp the way. Pipe, yeah. Friday night shut down. 
you know, and you get on those school buses. You wore, you wore your game jerseys to school on Fridays, and there was nothing better in high school football, man. Until we had to go to Aliquippa and play Ty Laws Town when they, you know, they should. It's basically you know you're playing. It, it's called the pit. Right. And I'm yep. sure you've done stuff with Ty. Yeah, well, we went turn the lights out. Spring. By, by the way, he just texted me. I told him we were doing this. He says yeah. hello. That's my man. <laughs> he's probably opening up what his forty uh, seventh uh, trampoline park. Uh, he's forty seventh really... bottle of vodka. Hey, V one vodka. I haven't had the vodka yet. His vodka, his be- it better be better than Matt Light's. Oh, Matt well, Light came to much. me. I froze in the freezer. I, I've heard that Ty Law's vodka is exceptional. Same here. Oh, we're from Pittsburgh. So, how far away was Aliquippa from your town? Thirty minutes. Okay. Everything you can put a dot and draw a thirty-minute radius and circle that. And you know, Joe Namath, Montana, um, Johnny Unitas, Hostetler, Jim Kelly from East East Brady, PA. Um, we're all from that centralized area there. Marino downtown. Um, of course, you know my later years. We'll get to the Marino part of it. That was one of my one of my favorite years playing pro football. Was my last year with Dan Marino sure. in Miami. Yeah, it was my idol growing up. So. Right. So and. and- and Montana went to the same high school you went to. Went to the same high school I went Coached to. My dad, dad, my dad coached Joe. Joe's senior year was 1974. Joe was a better baseball player and basketball player than he was a football player. Wow. And he had this long flowing hair, and his nickname was Joe Montana Low. I still have the high school chin strap from Joe's last high school football game. He flipped it to me flipped it to me because I was a seven-year-old water boy at the time. Joe used to kick off for the high school team. And my great stories about being a seven-year-old was being around my dad and, you know, I remember him cutting tape and filming. I, I talk to Coach Belichick about this all the time, too, when we do some of the interviews. And, you know, Bill's clicking on film and, you know, you're dragging stuff. And Jimmy Dean, a great job he does here with the video crew. Everything's digital now. We would literally have to splice it and cut it with scotch tape and put it in the splice machine. We'd do that with my dad. I would run on the field and get the kicking tee after Joe kicked off every game. And um, I'll never forget that. I could still remember this old tunnel that they walked up. It's the old Legion Field. Legion Field in uh, – in uh, Denora, Pennsylvania, and it was the middle school because you would dress in this little locker room, and you have to walk up this cement tunnel and you can still hear the click-clack into those metal. Back in the day, you wore metal cleats. Sure. Those screw-ins. And if they wore out, they were never going to wear out because they were metal. You know, Nowadays, these kids got these molded cleats now, and you know, millennials like, you know. So when you got older, Scott, do you remember when was the first time that your path crossed with Joe, and what was that like? Great question. Um of course, uh, my dad would follow Joe everywhere when all the Super Bowls. He would go with my old high school coach, and they would find a way, you know, on an athletic director or former coach's salary, a teacher's salary with the head coach to scrap up the money to get in touch with one of Joe's family members to where they could get two tickets. And, you know, hey, we get the experience of going to Super Bowls here. That's sure. a great thing about being around the Patriots. And the tough part is finding and, and getting that hotel for the four days right, right. at a price that you could manage. You know, right. you're trying to stay at a La Quinta or a Motel 6 and you get four guys asleep in one room. And shoot, okay, it's in New Orleans. Should we drive from Pittsburgh? When should we leave? Well, Wednesday. We'll get there Thursday. You know, Joe's family's got the party there. We're all invited. But I remember my dad doing all that. But when Joe was with uh, Kansas City and uh, he was shut down because he had an injury, came here and we were playing it but i remember you know being on the bus joe would bring me on the bus because he wasn't playing he was in street clothes at the time and we'd sit around after the game and it's the old foxborough stadium here where the old visitors locker room remember where will mcdonough got in that infamous fight with ray yeah with, with ray down in that lot down in that uh, raymond claiborne ray right. claiborne yeah and um and the buses they would put the buses at the top of that tunnel and uh i just remember all the people being trying around just to get a peek at joe and it's sort of stuff we see now with tom and that's the coolest thing 
about being around the team now covering it because I see a lot of stuff with Tom that I saw with Joe back in the days. And um, so it's kind of second natural to me. And I'd, I'd sit there and chuckle and look at these people, you know, and just trying to get a get a snapshot or a high from Brady or Wave. And uh, I just remember sitting on, a, on one of those buses with Joe, and he has feet up, and they had like a keg of beer on the back of the bus at the time. <laughs> This is, thanks a lot, Bin Laden. This is prior to, you know, prior to 9-11. We were able to do some things. and Okay, yeah, we'll get to some of those stories, too, some of those away trips and those West Coast trips and how we got through them. But, but so you're on the bus with Joe, as, and, and he, what he remembers for you. Steve Bono, you is know. He's a, yeah. a seven-year-old ball boy. It, and here you get dad to doing it. My dad was there, and he brought my dad on. And, that's awesome. And you, you haven't seen him in, you know, probably 10, 15 years. And, right. You know, every time. And I would always go back to see Joe when he would come back. And it would not be often when he would come back to Little Monongahela. A yeah, little steel town valley on the riverbanks of Pit, you know, one of those small towns in Pittsburgh back right. in the day. It's not really, really attractive for Joe coming from San Fernando Valley or wherever the hell he lives out there in San Francisco. You know, you know, today with, his, still, with his wife Jennifer. At least he remembers, though, right? Oh, you don't, you never forget where you're from, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yep. And I remember my dad bringing him back one time, and he we became really good friends with uh, Eddie DeBartolo, and Eddie facilitated a lot of this because he would fund the trips of Joe to come back because Joe's not flying commercial, right? As I'm sure 12 doesn't fly commercial here. Sure. It's, you know, back in the day, there wasn't a lot of private travel at that time. That was a big deal for him. You to had fly to private. know the owner. The owner had to have a plane. The owner had to pay for the gas, get him on it. Carmen Policy, like DeBartolo, Carmen Policy would come back to these banquets we would have at the VFW downtown in Monongahela, Pennsylvania. Here's Joe and his wife, Jennifer, and Joe's family. And you could tell Joe's, Joe's dealing with it, but you know, he's sitting on the folding chairs and, Ain't the Ritz. Plastic cups. It ain't the Ritz, man. But that's what made that's you. home. You knew that's where it started. That's where it started. Joe's dad made him come back. His relatives made him come back. And that that was the balls back in the day, man. And it started there. You mentioned so many guys. Why? That's Steeler, that's Steeler country he's coming back to, too. And why is it such a hotbed? It's not like that's the only area of the country that plays something. football. There's no lacrosse. There was no soccer. There was no ice skating at the time. There's football. You played football or baseball or basketball. And sports were seasonal. And this is the biggest thing I learned. And, you know, my daughter is a senior, uh, throughout her, her three years of high school. She's, she's at UMass now. And, uh, we did the AAU circuit. We got sucked into that. And you end up playing year round. What sport? It's basketball. Oh. Knee falls apart. She's three year starter, started as a freshman, didn't even want to play her senior year because the sport burned her out. And there was a lot of kids on her team that also played club soccer. And I look at these parents racing back and forth and it's year round. I'm like, I never did this. I remember growing up in Pittsburgh, and we had we had Christmas break. You get out Christmas, and you're back January second. There's no freaking February stupid ass vacation where right. you got to pay five grand to fly your family to Disney World. There was no April break. You had Easter. You were off Good Friday, and you had off maybe Easter Monday, right. depending on right. whether you were Catholic or or uh, you know I'm Russian Orthodox and we had a lot of those or hunkies back in Pittsburgh we like to call them Eastern Europeans so Friday through through Monday of Easter week was big those were our vacations because when Friday of Memorial Day weekend hit it's a half day of school and our asses were running down the street to go to Jake's Pizza down at Belvernon's little pizza shop playing arcade games there was Galacta there was a what, what was that a centipede was the big game you know, Space a, Invaders Pong Space Invaders and that was the beginning of summer. And uh, we had off from that day until we reported around, what, for camp in the middle of August. And we had real summers. My kids today don't have summers. Right. Our kids go till the end of June. Correct. And if you play sports, 
You're playing freaking baseball, traveling to Long Island in July. Your 4th of July weekends are ruined. I was spending, you know, 4th of July weeks in the middle of Pennsylvania at this massive complex, getting run out of gyms with her, 40 to 4 to 4 on sponsored teams. Hey, coach, we haven't fun yet. You guys having a good time? Because I'm missing Cape Cod right now. For for anybody listening to this, you get kids in it. Yeah, let your kids enjoy life. Enjoy life with your kids. They grow up fast, and then boom, they're gone. Amen, brother. I mean, you got to have a summer. You You know what? You know what I've done. My my son played AAU baseball, club baseball, only at 15, and then my daughter plays club lacrosse. Because she begged to. That's Never different. once did we push her to that. Like, it's all about what she wants, and I want them playing multiple sports. That's good. That's good. I, you know, I've talked to, I've talked to Christian about this. I've talked to Brew, Teddy Brewski, who, you know, when you have kids coming up and they're ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th, 12th grade kids, you want to be around them. You want to help coach. Those guys are coaching down there at Fian and like, it's different when we played, man. These kids nowadays, you know, you don't hit. You got to baby them. You got to hold their hands. You get into clicks now, you know, and, man, if you get outside that circle and you didn't play in the spring, but the eight other girls did or the eight other boys did. You're done. You missed it, man. You missed that time. And they, they sort of phase you out. you're good enough, coaches you'll still be guilt, in there, though. Coaches will guilt trip you into getting their ass down to this, this training facility in the summer because we did a two-day session. We're starting at 5. Oh, you'll start at 6 a.m., man. I played football, I played basketball, and I played baseball. I actually ended up running track uh, my junior and senior year because I threw the javelin. Because my dad didn't want me playing baseball because everything was sidearm with me. Everything was over the top now with football. Uh, when you're 6'5", you know, nobody wants to – unless you're Chuck Long from uh, University of Iowa throwing sidearm or Jim Everett back in the day. That's what, those were fun days getting recruited by those schools. All right, so let's talk about that. So as a kid who's grown up in western Pennsylvania yeah. and is the ball boy for Joe Montana, I got to believe, did you – was Notre Dame – did you want to go to Notre Dame? Why Maryland? Is did my not question. did not want to go to Notre Dame. Okay, so shame on you. I love. Uh, I'm just okay, kidding. so I'm just kidding. You're gonna love this story. So my dad, my dad was the AD at the time. He was not my coach. Yep. And Jerry Sandusky, the infamous Jerry Sandusky from yeah, Penn State. State, was the first guy to ever recruit me coming on in ninth grade. Jerry would make a visit to my house once a month. To we had a we had a bumper pull table, not a big pull table. We had a little house, couldn't fit a big pull table, so the next best thing we had bumper pull. Jerry would come into my house and just shoot stick with me in the basement. And, man, I was going to freaking Penn State from ninth grade on. And I ended up having you know, meatballs at Joe Paterno's house. I could still see the red and white check table on a folded table in his nondescript house in the middle of Penn State's campus. You know, 100,000 people. And I went to every camp from ninth grade on. And in my senior year, they come to me and tell me they're going to take Tom Bill out of Tom's River, New Jersey. And they're going to be the quarterback. We're only going to have one scholarship quarterback. But you're 6'5", 230. We want you to play linebacker. We're going to make you a linebacker here. Jim Kelly went through that. Jeff Hosteller went through that. They all got recruited there to play linebacker, even though we're quarterbacks coming out of Western PA. Jesus, I was the I was the number two kid coming out of the state of Pennsylvania. It was me and Major Harris. Uh, Major the old, Harris. old West Virginia quarterback. Yep. We're all getting recruited at the same oh. time. Eddie McCaffrey was in the center of the state. 
We all played that Big 33 All-Star game. Mm-hmm. Eddie was my receiver. Sean Borowski and Michael Owens were my tailbacks. They both went, both went to Syracuse. All our linemen went to Nebraska and we're playing a state of Texas, you know, in this big, big 33 game, 35,000 people for a high school game and Hershey Park and you smell the chocolate. It's just disgusting at 95 degrees. You are listening to the Pats from the Past podcast brought to you by who but WB Mason. WB Mason delivers all of your business essentials for free with no minimum order. Break room, furniture, facilities, maintenance, office supplies, and so much more. For the latest delivery of business products, nobody does it better than who but WB Mason. But the whole recruiting process was awesome. Like, I love Jerry. I wanted to go to Penn State. They ended up screwing me over. Then I fell in love with Pitt and Foge Fazio. Oh, wow. He ended up getting Cam. Mike Godfrey got hired. So I got caught in a transitional phase there. Pitt still offered me. But Howard Schnellenberger won a national championship with Jim Kelly at the time. At or Bernie Kozar. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Ended up going to Louisville. Yep. And tried to resurrect that program. They recruited me hard. My dad wanted me to go to Louisville. Like, they're sending private jets to get you there. And, you know, you land and the band's waiting for you on the tarmac. Um, you got shown around that town real well. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> Duke recruited me very hard. They were 1-10. in 10. Number two kid coming out of the state of Pennsylvania is not going to Duke, Mom. Mom wanted me to go to Duke. Dad wanted me to go to Louisville because you're going to start as a Mom freshman. wanted you to go to Duke. Mom wanted me to go to Duke. She cried when I told Duke no. Steve Spurrier was at Duke as an assistant at the Ooh. time. Steve Sloan was the head coach. Um, so West Virginia recruited me hard. I ended up going there on my official visit. I fell in love with Maryland because my Uncle Chuck, my dad's brother, lived in Ellicott City, Maryland, which was 20 minutes from the Maryland campus. And my Uncle Chuck was the lone undefeated quarterback on the Delaware Blue Hens teams for Tubby Raymond back in the day when Kennedy got killed. They ended up canceling the season after Kennedy ended up getting killed. They didn't play any games after that um, during the assassination of the president. And just like my uncle would drive every Friday night. He worked at Ellicott Still down in Maryland. Would drive up on Friday nights to see me play on Friday night and turn around and drive back. He had a mount, He had two Mountain Dews that he would drink, and that's the highest. You know, you know caffeine. caffeine, baby, in this yep. business. What gives you the most caffeine? Absolutely. You didn't have Jolt. You didn't have uh, Rock, you know. Red, uh, Bull. Red Bull. Red Bull. None of that stuff existed, so you had to find the caffeine. Mountain Dew gave that zing to him. So I felt loyal to him, and plus St. Almost Fire, the movie came out. Uh, the, the soundtrack. I felt love. I loved Rob Lowe. Uh, when I got recruited by Maryland, they took my ass straight to Georgetown because the drinking age was 18. We loaded up 10 kids in a car. And the guy showed me around Maryland, showed me the best time ever. He made me funnel a pitcher of Long Island iced tea. What? As an 18-year-old kid, I had freaking alcoholic poisoning. And then I passed out face down outside the chapel where, if you look, Maryland's campus is long sprawling. They found me there, got me back to the inn because I was supposed to have dinner, uh, breakfast with Bobby Ross the next morning. Who's a hard ass, wasn't was he? Who's a hard ass? Who poured? Who who made you do that funnel? My oh god, he was a defensive back. I forget his name at the time. <laughs> Your host, right? My host, the guy who's hosting you. And it was great. And I'm like, this tastes so good. It tastes just like iced tea and <laughs> lemonade. And I'll never forget. And I've been there multiple times. Trust me. When the lights start spinning, that room starts spinning. And all of a sudden, you feel it coming up, man. And you got one one hand on the bar and the floor. I I hacked all over the bar, and it was the vu. The bar was the vu at Maryland. And there was so much liquid on the floor. I remember the pitchers laying on the floor. They'd take the pitchers up, rinse them off, and it was pitchered beer. They played Rock and Robin, you know, by the Jackson Five. I'm like, this place is freaking great. I committed right there. I, I, I'm coming here. 
I went to West Virginia. They took me freaking bowling. <laughs> it's the worst trip I ever had. They had the best facilities out of anybody at the time. Don Nealon was in West Virginia. So I committed to Maryland. And next thing you know, here comes Jimmy Johnson from Miami. Jimmy gets a head gig at Miami. He and Gary Stevens start recruiting me. I committed already, coach. Why don't you come on down? Take a trip down to Miami. I said, all right, I'm already committed. Uh, we still want you to come down. But so I ended up arriving in Miami. Jimmy had his own fishing boat that me and Gary Stevens, who ended up being his coordinator, down Dallas, Wanstead, all these guys. Uh, Tony Wise was there at the time, his offensive line coach. Yep. All these guys fall him to Dallas, fall him back to Miami. I want Jimmy's 54-foot like Bertram. It's just me and him on a fishing boat. There's about 30 other recruits on the other boat. We went out of Monty Trainers at the Bay. And this is where we all came together, you know, as recruits going down to Miami. And I'm like, Jesus, this is one, one full-court press here. So at the time, they won the national championship in 86. It was Tessa Verde that hosted me on my recruiting trip. So I remember Jerome Brown, all those guys were there. We ended up breaking into the school pool, the the swimming pool, the Olympic swimming pool. And Benny Blades and those guys at the time took me up to the high dive, <laughs> threw me off the freaking high dive. And you talk about hitting water at about 3 o'clock in the morning as hard as you can. Oh! And there was a guy that we went to an after party at his house. It was that Evan Shapiro guy at the time that was connected to all these Miami guys. A big booster, had a house party there. I just remember never seeing an edge of the campus to where, okay, there's separation here. Here's the Miami campus. You never felt like you were on a campus at the U. Now, hell, a football program, no doubt about that. Scared the hell out of me. I almost changed my commitment to go to Miami, but I'm like, man, it's a four-hour plane ride. My family could drive, see me to play at Maryland. Fell in love with Maryland's campus. To this day, you know how I talk about it, man. Absolutely. It was, it was so cool to go back there last year. We stayed at the new hotel yeah. on campus. That meant I, a lot to you. And I remember walking around with Jim Nolan, who was, works here with the Patriots, and there was nothing better than walking around and seeing the, the, the new stuff, and but seeing the old stuff, you know, touching the the the, you know, the, 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 the head of the turtle, Testudo, there at the library, which I never went into, which, which was haunted. <laughs> so I, I told my mother you, it was you haunted. You never went in the library? Five years, five summers, Brian. Never went into the Maryland Library. <laughs> I did go in once because you had a date. No, they had an archive of movies, and this is you know I'm not going to pay for Blockbuster. I remember scraping money together to buy pizza out of Domino's with my roommates because you didn't you couldn't get paid as athletes at right. the time. But I remember going in there to watch One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest <laughs> on his hard drive because they had this new movie section. That's my favorite movie of all time. But That's funny. Yeah, That's funny. so it's funny how everything came together. And then uh, also, uh, Dick McPherson recruited me really hard to go to Syracuse. Hmm. So it's back. Going. It's interesting. And that and that went up there on a trip. That comes a little bit full circle. But I don't know if Patriot fans realize at the time that Miami, and I don't want to overstate this a little bit, but that's a little bit like quarterback you at the time, right? I mean, oh, you had yeah. some good guys. That were oh, yeah. Well, Neil O'Donnell was Neil there. O'Donnell? No, that's Maryland. Oh, oh yeah. Maryland. Right, Maryland. Maryland. Yeah, Maryland. You said Miami. Sorry. But, I mean, even Miami at the time, when you get recruited there. So it was right. Kelly Cozart, those guys. Yeah, I'm Craig sorry. Harrison, Craig Erickson ended up yeah, going I there. I Miami. Miami. Um, doesn't what, really get recognized for that the guys was, that they turned That out. was one of the coolest things, watching film with Bobby Ross and eventually my quarterback coach. He's not with us anymore, Joe Krivak. Uh, Krivak was a quarterback coach. He ended up taking over when Ross bolted. And, um, I, oh, shoot, I forgot. Shit, I forgot to talk about Lenny Bias. So during my recruiting process in Maryland, I went to ACC games. There to see Duke play Carolina, so I saw Lenny Bias play in college. Uh, my recruiting trips, wow. Louisville, the the Pearl Washington games, Chris Washburn, NC State, uh, Syracuse, all those. I saw Syracuse Louisville games at Louisville. Wow! I was at Cameron Indoor 
watching Carolina and Duke on a recruiting trip. That's insane. And when I went in and started to work out that summer, I saw Lenny play in the quad courtyard outside where there's just like a thousand kids around the court watching him come down. He had to spread dunk, baseline spread dunk, tomahawk dunk, where Lenny would spread his legs and thunder dunk it. And then you get the news a week later, the, the tragedy that happened. And right after the Celtics drafted him, it sent our entire program in a tank at Maryland because lefty Drizelle ended up getting fired after yep. that. Well, he had to leave. Bobby said, I'm, I doubled down. I'm not going anywhere. Well, they changed our academic standards. And it, it, it was harder to get into Duke in, in Virginia and, and Ivy League schools than it was. Or Maryland, Maryland, it ended up harder to get into, which totally transitioned to a different type of recruit. We could recruit at the time, which changed everything. But getting back to our original question here about the quarterback, you, you know, we watched film on Boomer. We watched the Frank Wright game on the 28-point comeback against Miami. Or was it 31? 35-3. to 35-3. So it was 30. That's right. It was 32 points. Mm-hmm. It was the 28 points he was down at Buffalo. Uh, when he was with the Bills. Oh, then that's what I'm so talking about. So watch that. Stan Gelbaugh was there next. Then it was Neil O'Donnell and me. And one of the coolest things my second year when I ended up getting the start when Hotson and Millen were hurt, um, Neil O'Donnell was starting for Pittsburgh. Boomer was starting for Cincinnati. Stan Gelbaugh was starting for Seattle. Frank Reich was starting for Buffalo. That's, that's All pretty, five of us that's started. cool, though. And Miami can't say that, but we could say that. That's something we had over Miami, which is known as quarterback year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say quarterback year, everybody thinks Miami. Of that's course. why you said Miami. Yep. But – all five of us started on one Sunday, and that was pretty cool for our coach. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Do you remember your first uh, start at, yeah. at Maryland? Oh, God, yeah. Yeah. Uh, crap in my pants. It was Virginia Tech. Um, ended up throwing for like 312 yards. I, I think I had 28 completions. Set the school record at the time. This was back in 1991. Set the school record. Frank Wycheck was a true freshman. So we invented sort of the H-back offense. So everybody was running that split-back offense that Bobby Ross recruited us on. So it's sort of like the um, Dallas offense that, that um, who's that? Um, Nor, um, who's the coach at Dallas? North uh, Turner? North Turner. So it was a split back, split right, scat right that we had with Ernie Zampezi here and you know Dick Corey and those guys. We ran the same stuff. So it was sort of turnkey when I got here with the pros. But my first start at Maryland, throw for 312. Next week we go to West Virginia, throw for 350 that game. We win the game on two Comeback checks. game, right? Both of them. Both of them were comeback games. And I yeah. checked the slant routes to this guy, Gene Thomas. He was a junior college yeah. transfer. And I hit him for a 65-yarder, you know, against Virginia Tech. Hit him for, a, like, a 70-yarder in the last play of the game against West Virginia. At West Virginia, we all go, and we're jumping on state in West Virginia. We're getting, you know, beer bottles thrown at our buses on the way out of there. We're flipping off, you know, all those hicks in West Virginia. And week three, I was top five in a Heisman race. Just based on two starts like that. That's, That's how unbelievable. Quick. And then we played at Michigan the next week. And my first pass of the game was pick six, so the Heisman race was over at that time. And then you got sacked 10 times against Georgia Tech. Think about this. So at West Virginia, Virginia Tech, at Michigan, at Penn State, Ooh. and Miami were out of conference games. Now that's they a, do these freaking cupcakes. That's now. a schedule. It's pathetic what, yeah. the, what these schools doing now to pad their schedules. So, so did you? But it got what, me ready for the next level. When you're coming out of school, where did you? Where did they tell you you were going to go? Where did you think you were going to Not team-wise first. What round did you think you were going to? I thought it was potentially – I was climbing up the draft charts. Best thing I did, I went to the Combine early. Got invited to the Combine. Now, I was only like a year-and-a-half starter in Maryland. And, okay, so I'm a big kid, 6'5", I think I majored 228. Kids got a rock on our – come in. We want you to throw defensive backs for five days prior to the quarterback workouts. So I did that, and I got a lot of exposure. So at that time, I exploded up the uh, draft board charts. And 
It was Todd Marinovich they took a flyer on first round. Draders did. Dan McGuire went to Seattle. Big kid, right? And McGuire. here comes here comes Atlanta and Jerry um Jerry Jerry Glendale Glendale, was interested yeah. in me. Um George Young was interested in me with the Giants. I got a lot of run out of the Redskins. Um Bobby Bethard and then uh, Joe Mendez here. So you, there was a lot of exposure there and I could have went anywhere from second round to seventh round. And at that time it was 12, 12 round draft, two right. days. It was a long process, long first day. I ended up going that, uh, first pick in the fourth round. 84th. That first day. Yeah. yeah 84th, which I held out because te- great agent Ralph Sandrich, you're technically third round. Uh, there was an issue there. So I held out for the third round money, which he ended up getting me, which was great. That's great. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I thought I was going to go second round. They ended up taking, uh, Favre. So Favre ended up going there. And then Browning Nagel Ooh. went to the freaking Jets. Louisville? Part. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, and then I went. So I was the fifth guy taken that year. So. What'd you, what'd you know about the Patriots? Did you know anything? I knew they weren't very good. Right. One in 15 in 1990, six in 10 in 91. I knew Steve Grogan. And when you play the position, you sort of, Watch everybody. The Watch position. quarterbacks. I'll never forget this guy playing with a neck roll. I'm like, who the hell is this guy playing with a neck roll? You know, and then you hear about you know playing on concrete. <laughs> you know, basically up here with that old turf. And but I loved the uniform, that that old red and white Patriot throwback logo, which I think they should you know, get uh, back to for a game. No question. It sucks that you can't do that no because question. of the helmet color. Right. But I don't understand why you can't. Because just it's wear your silver it, helmet. It's just it wouldn't be the same. I'll be saying, Brian. You know what Safety. it would look like? It would look like what's that movie? The, is it the replacements that has a silver helmet? Yes. With the red jerseys? Yeah. With Falco? It's quarterback. Yeah. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. So oh, no one's shaking Falco, my quarterback. So so what week was it? Um what week was it in so you didn't play in ninety one, right? Right. So ninety two, what week was it uh, at Indy um that you started that game? Uh they were 0 and nine. Oh and nine. Yeah. Okay. And so and your dad went to the game because I remember watching dad the went game to the on game TV with my high school got, coach. And they I have shots him. of your dad in the stands. I got him seats on a fifty yard line. Yep. I said, "Shit, you're going to play in one game. You do this." And I remember being on the team plane with a guy by the name of Billy Fairweather. And you know Billy in the business. He was working with Frank Malicote and those guys. I think it was Channel Fifty Six at the time. It is Channel Fifty Six. He owns the greatest bar. Yeah, he's he's part yeah. of part owner down there. Wakefield resident. So I Billy I remember, on uh, Saturday night at the school play, and they had the, the TV cameras on there. And it's back in the day where you could go up and talk to these guys. Now they keep everybody sequestered apart from everybody. I said, Billy, get them fucking cameras ready. I said, because I'm going to win this game. Sorry for swearing. <laughs> and surprising I said, you that was an F-bomb. we're going to get off the plane <laughs> and we're going straight to Clark's down at Faneuil Hall. And this was like one of my favorite bars at the time. You know, it was a little bar right at the, right at the end of Faneuil Hall because you get pizza right outside, sausage sandwiches. And um, we ended up lighting that son of a bitch up there, man. Ben Coates catches my first touchdown. That happened early, which was great, which got me going. I got confidence. But Irving Fryer, man, of all people, was really good to me. I got the good Irving. I didn't know the bad Irving at the beginning of his career and some of the issues he had. But I got a, I got a guy busted his ass at the end of his career here, and he went on to play well for oh, Miami. How was well he for Philly. Well for Flip Philly. Redskins. And he said, you just hang in it, man. He talked me through that game so much because I, you know, you're third guy, man. You're thrown in the mix. You really don't know what you're doing. And I remember at the end of the first half, um, we had a little bit of time left. And it's really one of the old times I really could read coverage really well. And freaking safety split. And I had Greg McBurchie on an inside slot. And he's running a skinny. And two guys are converging on me. And I remember just closing my eyes and throwing a strike right up the middle of the field because both safeties split. And I ended up on my back. And my head hits the head hits the uh, turf at the time. It's the old uh, RCA Dome in yep. Indy. 
And um, this is the, that was the Jeff George game where he came out and he's flipping everybody off and he asked him why are you giving a finger to the crowd in the introductions. He said because I'm good and I'm good looking. <laughs> that was the end of Jeff George. Really? In Indy. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God! I ended up playing against him when he was at Atlanta later. You know, during a Parcells game. But um, and I hit McMurtry for a touchdown there. And I remember turning looking for no flags. There was no flags. I took my helmet off and I bowed at the second at the fifty yard line. And Fred Smurlis picks me up. We run into the locker room. And, uh, shit, we ended up winning that game on a Charlie Bauman kicking overtime because I hit John Vaughn on a bunch of checkdowns. I knew at the end of that game, I'm not going to force the ball to Irving one of the ball. He's like, he, I want the game winner. I want the game winner. Like, nope, check down, check down. John Vaughn, John Vaughn, John Vaughn. Ben Coates, John Vaughn. And then, boom, Charlie Bauman kicked it through. So. 20 of 29, 261, and two touches. But, Brian, what AFC is, player of the week. Right. Offensive player That's of the right. week. What yeah. does everybody remember about that game? Guns. Why, Six shooters. How, how did, how did you come up with that, Zell? The six shooters. And for you guys listening on this on the podcast, okay. look it up on YouTube. Go 1992, yeah. uh, Patrick Colts, overtime, and just put in Zolak and it, watch Zolak with the six shooters. I tell everybody this now, too. And nothing is thought out with everything that I do, as you know, and you watch me. If you watch <laughs> me on our simulcast on radio or you see me on All Access or you watch me on some, nothing of the, scripted. some of the booth cams on 98.5 we're calling the games, nothing is scripted with me. It is. It, it's everything's off the. Cuff. By the way, I can attest. I've I swear given to him God. a script, and he's never stuck to it. Right. So, yeah, I mean, we do this at the Hall of Fame stuff. Like, hey, here's your script. Oh, let's be real rigid. Let's bring this guy. Oh, let's bring him in. Let's go, Teddy. Get your ass up here. Let's go. So it's a. I like to. I like to make it like we're doing this. Like we're, like we could be sitting around shooting shit, having a beer, having some chicken wings, you know, eating some crab legs, having the sun out, listening to Kenny Chesney, or you know, this is what sports should be. Right. It shouldn't be rigid. It's, right. It's just guys sitting around having a good time, and I try to do that with the broadcast, but still give you as much information as I can and um, still do the same thing when you're trying to be professional, whether on TV or radio. It's I think there's a balance, delicate balance there. But So that just, not, came, to, that just came to you? It just started, like, I'm going down the field, I'm happy, and the guns come out. And then I remember uh, the, the Atlanta start with Parcells. He, now, now, Scar at the time was the intern at coach, so Scar tolerated all that stuff. He was good with it. You're like shit, guy on the moon. You know, this is great. Let him, let him go. And um, I remember doing it down in Atlanta when the Georgia Dome opened up. Jesus, I get hit by Chris Dolman. I lost skin on both my elbows. That was the hardest hit I ever took in the oh. league. Guy came. Eugene Chung was freaking puking in the huddle. He had the flu that day. He missed a slide protection. Just Colbert missed Dolman. I didn't see him coming because I thought my backside was protected, and I got lit up. But I hit Vincent Brisby on a slant. Another one I checked to. When you hit that slant, you check to it. You thread that needle. You're feeling pretty good. So I got down on one knee in this brand-new Georgia Dome. Took an arrow out of my backpack. I didn't have a backpack, but I took the <laughs> arrow out. Shot it up in the ceiling. And, you know, Parcells at the time takes his heads off. He goes, get over here. fuck you doing? What are you doing? I said, I'm a coach. You try to, try to shoot, the, shoot the arrow through it and take the, shoot the roof down up there, you know, because it's all blown up. Don't do that shit anymore. Yeah. Nice throw, though. Nice check. <laughs> you know, and that was the greatest thing about Parcells, the ability – to scare the hell out of you, but when he gave you credit for doing something or gave you a pat on the ass, I think most guys want that nowadays. For a coach to be hard on him, coach him up, but damn, when you make a play, get the guy credit for making a play, and he was so good at that. So can you just tell us what it was like before Parcells and then how he changed it? Well, I mean, obviously we weren't winning games, you know, back in the early days, and yeah, I felt bad for Matt because Matt got sick and sort of got caught in that transition. And I think when you get used to losing, that was the biggest thing Parcells taught us. When I remember being out in Arizona, getting our ass kicked, and 
I don't know how many games it was in. We were owing something, and he came in and took Gatorade Cooler and slammed it into the blackboard and broke it. And he goes, when are you guys going to get sick of this shit? Everybody's looking at me. He goes, you know what I'm talking about? Sick of losing. He said, it's, it's infectious. He goes, we got to stop this shit now. And we ended up coming back, winning that game. I think Drew had his knee all banged up. But, I mean, you looked at the crowds. You could feel the energy in Foxborough Stadium. Like, that was a good, intimate, crowds on top of you, football-type environment. And they wanted they wanted a winner. And when you hired Parcells, you felt you had a winner. You changed the uniforms. You come in, and the whole place started. You could see it filling up game to game. And all of a sudden, you're playing for the sold-out crowds. This thing's real. And the ability of him to bring Giants in, whether it was Myron Guyton or, you know, Bob Cratch back in the day, Will Roberts. David Maggett. David Maggett. Maggett was one of my favorite players. Uh, no, David's got issues now, sure. but that, that's not for this. But David was a great freaking teammate. And he taught you how to win. He taught you how to work. Parcells brought guys in to establish culture. And you see this with other guys that go to places. And whether it's the Belichick tree and guys go out, you know, you bring guys in. You want that. You know, you want to establish what is winning. What made it work here that is going to try to attempt to make it work here. And Circle the wagon guys, he calls them. Work ethic, man. Work ethic. And taught you to internalize everything. Everything you hear here, say here, stays here. You know, everybody out there is trying to put drive a wedge between you and me, meaning media. He was good at dealing with the media. He knew how to handle the media. He knew how to make us feel like we circled the wagons and was us against the world. And I think that's still true today. And I think Belichick takes a lot of what he learned of Parcells, you know, with it. More to come with Scott Zolak in part two of our Pats from the Past podcast, presented by who but W.B. Mason. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.